Welcome to Mission Talk Podcast, where we talk everything missions from across the street to around the world. I'm your host, Jacob Laus, and the purpose of this podcast is to introduce you to mission organizations, both large and small, help you understand who they are, what they do, and how you can be involved. And we're back with another episode of Mission Talk. I am excited to introduce to you an organization that has their hands into many different areas of the world, and they are located in Springfield, Missouri. I have joining with me today from Convoy of Hope in Springfield, Missouri. I have with me Sarah Foreheads. Sarah, thank you for jumping on with me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. So, Sarah, um, I have enjoyed getting to know a little bit about what your organization does just through some research. But before we dive into the organization itself, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from? Sure. Yes, I grew up. I was born and raised in a very small town called Fort Gibson, Oklahoma. Uh, The nearest big town would be Tulsa, but it's not even really that close to Tulsa. Um, So, yeah, just a rural area, uh, Cherokee Nation. Um, I am Cherokee Indian. And yeah, I grew up just really in a small, you know, safe, tight knit community, went off to college at Oklahoma State University, graduated with a degree in journalism and political science and worked in politics for a little bit in Washington, D.C. for a senator. Um, Then I moved to the Dallas area where I started working in news Um, And I have spent the last 20 years, almost 20 years, working um, for different news affiliates, NBC, ABC, um, all over the area uh, or all over the country, really, mainly in the Mm -hmm. Midwest. And then I landed in Springfield, Missouri, um, which is where I spent the vast majority of my news career. And one year ago, my husband and I both got out of news because we met in news. We married in news. We worked in news forever together, and then we both got out at the same time um, and went from an NBC affiliate to Convoy of Hope, which is where we are both now. Now, you work for this organization called Convoy of Hope, and I have heard the name before, but I don't really know too much about them. Can you tell us just a little bit about how Convoy of Hope was founded and what kind of the mission is? Sure. Um, It is a global organization and most Americans know us from disaster relief. If there's a hurricane or a tornado or an earthquake um, or any sort of natural disaster, that is when you typically have a touch point um, with Convoy of Hope. Now, that's how Americans know us. But globally, we're more known um, for programming, which is children's feeding, women's empowerment, and agriculture training, uh, which is where we have, you know, soil scientists go to an area and do soil testing and then figure out what crop would grow best in that soil in that specific area, and then helping train up farmers in those countries um, how to best, you know, work their land so that they can be pulled out of poverty. Um, Women's empowerment, the same thing. We come alongside women um, who have been identified in different countries all around the world, 16 different countries, and we come alongside them for 12 weeks, um, teach them just some, some business skills, provide them with a little bit of um, capital money or seed money that they can start up that business. 
And what we found that years down the road, they are still running the business. So everything that Convoy does is built on sustainability. Um, You might say it's teaching a man how to fish, not just giving him a fish, but teaching him how to fish. And we've been around since 1994. And um, we have a proven track record of it changing generations, people's lives being pulled out of poverty and being forever changed. Did it start out as a disaster relief and these other initiatives come along during the process? Was that how it started? It started out, our founder, his name is Hal Donaldson, and he was also a journalism major and he was working, um, he was a student and then he was working in California. And he got invited to write a book about this missionary couple to India. And so he was going over to India to do interviews and gather information for this book project. And um, in that process, he was interviewing Mother Teresa. And so the interview wraps up and all is well. And then she says to him, excuse me, young man, I would like to ask you a question now. She said, what are you doing to help the poor? Mm. And he grew up in poverty. His um, dad was killed by a drunk driver when he was a young boy. So he was taken in by a couple, um, him and his four brothers. Um, So it was, he grew up, you know, living in poverty on food stamps, needing um, lots of help from the local community and from local churches. And so he was really at that stage of his life, just hoping to really get a good paying job and like kind of make it, if you will, by American standards. And when Mother Teresa asked him what he was doing to help the poor, um, the Lord just used that to prick his heart and convict him that everyone can do something. And when he got back, he and his brother decided that they were going to load up the truck with groceries and just go pass it out to different neighborhoods in need in America. And thus began what is now Convoy of Hope. So it started out very small, you know, in a garage and in a truck bed and has now turned into a global organization. Wow. And you said you and your husband both work for Convoy of Hope, correct? We both work for Convoy of Hope. We have very similar jobs because we both came from news. Um, And it's just interesting because... A lot of people say like, how do you work with your husband? I'm like, I've only ever worked with my husband and he (laughs) happens to be hilarious and one of my best friends. And so it works out for us. I don't know how we do it, but um, I am the national spokesperson. He is also a national spokesperson. Um, And then I am a reporter. So just going to the field, gathering stories and information, putting them together, kind of telling the story of Convoy. Um, And then my husband is what we call, uh, what's it? It's like, community relationships or something like he's basically just um, tries to engage communities in working together and um, working with convoy as well. So community liaison, I suppose. So you have already went over some of the um, initiatives, disaster relief, um, you know, the, the feeding projects and all this. Um, can, can you dive in a little t- into, I'm curious of how these things are set up, you know, a lot of times, like if Sasser, I mean, you guys were probably involved with several months back, um, our neighbors to the South Mayfield, Kentucky had that huge tornado. How does convoy of hope go about setting up these things? Because it's one thing to, you know, to go in and do it, but there's so much that goes on behind the scenes to make this stuff happen. Can you elaborate a little bit on how that comes to be? 
Yeah, we are in fact still working in Kentucky and Tennessee. We're still there. Um, and those were the tornadoes were in December. So right mm. around Christmas. Um, but Convoy of Hope is best works through the local church. So we get donations from people. And then we buy product, food, water, feminine hygiene kits, baby care kits, things of that nature, like the basic necessities of life. And then when there is a disaster anywhere in the world, um, but speaking specifically of that tornado outbreak, we start shipping supplies and all the while we're calling local pastors because we love to work through local churches because we believe that pastors often have the pulse of what's happening in the community and what the needs are. So we might call and say, hey, Pastor Jacob, how's it going at your church? What are you seeing that your people need? Like, where is the lack? And often right after a disaster, you know, people don't have just the basic necessities of life. So we then use that church parking lot. They clear the parking lot of all the debris and we come in and we park our truck, um, like our massive semi truck of supplies and then we use that local church's volunteers to be a point of distribution. So then we work through local media, which is part of my job, like contacting local media in Kentucky, like saying, hey, you know, Convoy of Hope has groceries to give out. We're going to be at this address on this day at this time. And honestly, like speaking specifically about Mayfield, I mean, there the cars were like miles and miles long coming through. Um, the feeding line and we're able just to give out groceries in the name of Jesus. And it's awesome to see the response um, long after convoy has gone. Like one of the um, neat things that I've learned just in the past year that I've been here is that even after we leave those people who came to that specific church to get those groceries, they then have a relationship with that local church body and they can continue to check on that person even after we're out of the picture. And it's really um, not just caring for their physical and immediate needs, but then long-term, the spiritual and psychological and emotional issues that often come after that kind of a disaster. What are some of the challenges you have run into, even whether it is domestic or you're working in another country? What's been some of your personal challenges you have faced with trying to do this outreach? Yeah, I mean... For instance, in Haiti, like we're still working in Haiti after the earthquake. Of course, there was the big one in 2010, but then there was another big one recently, just a couple months ago. Um, and one of the challenges is, I mean, we have partners in Haiti. And so we were like, hey, we can contact our partners, get more product to them, and just to make sure that they are well stocked. And of course, then the gangs, many different gangs had taken over certain thoroughfares in Haiti. So then getting the product literally down the road in order to get it to the warehouse was a challenge. Now I will say that the good Lord made a way because we ended up being able to come through a port um, on the water and still get that product in, but it's a logistical um, maze that <laughs> Really, I mean, hats off to like all of the logistics people out there. That is such a tough job. Um, but it is fun to see um, how God really just breathes on it. And more often than not, kind of brings it all together. And then we're able to deliver the product. Uh, there's a proverb that says the gift opens the door yes. to the giver. So we believe that by meeting those people's 
immediate physical needs, that is an open door for relationship. And so we believe that that's where it starts. And it's just really cool to see how there are lots of challenges. And depending on where in the world, you know, you're talking about, I mean, there was a, in Lebanon, they had like an economic collapse. I mean, so that carried a whole host of different challenges. I mean, depending on where you are in the world, there's a million different challenges, but I think it's a willingness to keep trying and to keep knocking until a door opens. Um, And because of our relationship with churches, local churches all over the world, we often see those doors open. How many like volunteers and Convoy of Hope people does it take to do some of these things? Uh, Convoy of Hope in total only has 330 employees. Mm -hmm. Most of those are in America, but also in our program countries, like where we do have like a children's feeding program or a women's empowerment program. Um, Like for instance, in parts of Africa, I was recently in Tanzania. Um, Those, those people are nationals to that area. So even though we work year round in Tanzania, our Convoy of Hope employee is a native Tanzanian. So we're not going over there that often. We're just consistently checking in with that employee because we use the volunteers who are already there. It's just a massive cost savings to not be, Mm -hmm. you know, flying volunteers or driving volunteers somewhere. I mean, like for Mayfield, we had so many truck drivers from America who said, Hey, I'll drive a load down. I'll drive a load down. So, I mean, people who have specific skill sets, um, kind of come out of the woodworks in the best way. Um, Mm -hmm because they're willing just to take a few days and drive down a load. Um, I mean, I, I recently met someone who was like, oh yeah, I, I volunteered with Convoy. And I was like, oh, what'd you do? And they were like, oh, I was at Hurricane Katrina for three months. I'm like a volunteer <laughs> for three months, but they were retired. And they said, you know, we love Convoy. We wanted to help. And we just decided to stay there for the long haul. And I just thought, how cool is that? I mean, you know, not all of us are in a place yet where we could just go take three months off, but there are a lot of people who are in that place and they say, Hey, like I'm signed up. I'm ready to go. Let's do it. Um, you have, how, how many other initiatives are there? I feel like I'm There's one. just the three main ones, three. which is yeah. Agriculture, okay. women's empowerment, and then children's feeding. Okay. Yeah. Um, so like, for example, the women's empowerment, like what brought on the movement for that? Um, that basically was born in Ethiopia because there were women whose kids were in the children's feeding line and they were there a lot, like the same Mm. kids over and over and over. And so it's that sustainability mindset to say, Hey, we want to help you, but we don't want to help you forever. We want to teach you how to help yourself. And so initially it started, um, in Ethiopia, identifying the moms of those kids who were in the children's feeding program. And then Convoy comes in and does what you and I would maybe call like a market analysis, like to say, hey, what is something in your community that there's a need for? Okay, now what would you have an interest in? Like maybe it's making shoes, maybe it's running a restaurant, maybe it's having a sewing business, um, maybe it's making chicken feed, whatever there is an actual need for in the community. And then identifying those women And just coming alongside them for um, a length of time, typically about 12 weeks, and teaching them that skill set, giving them the seed money 
to start the business. Like if it's a sewing business and they need to buy a sewing machine, like um, us convoy and by us, I mean, our donors, obviously we're run by donations. Like people saying, Hey, I'll donate $300 to buy a sewing machine. And then, you know, we purchase the sewing machine, make sure that she knows how to sew and then go through kind of like Dave Ramsey style. Like <laughs> here's how you keep your books. Here's, you know, cash in cash out, like all of those things. Um, but what we found is we went back to Ethiopia where they started and we did um, a study to make sure that it was sustaining 100% of the women who we had trained six years earlier were still in business. That's incredible. Wow. And it really has a ripple effect because it's not just the women who went through our program, but what had happened is some of them, their businesses took off so well that they actually hired other women in their community to come be a part of their business with them. That's crazy. I mean, where do, where else do you get like a hundred percent statistic? You know, it was just really amazing. Um, and has been really a joy of mine personally. Um, because like I've only been at convoy for a year, but to watch their countenance change, to watch mm. the women who come into the program and then to see them like post-graduation running their own business, there's nothing like it. How many countries you said um, these food uh, children food distributions are set up in certain countries? Um, yeah, so we know work all in certain are? in certain countries for the women's empowerment specifically. That's in sixteen different countries. Okay, um, children's feeding initiatives happen more more than that, and agriculture as well. So basically, we develop those partnerships. And go from there, because once we have a partnership or a relationship with a local school or a local church or a local community, mm -hmm. typically it's out of those relationships that we can then develop the programming. Because first of all, you have to have the infrastructure in place. I, I was reading on your website and I seen something called the um, uh, field team experience. Um, it looked like kind of a mission team based um, program. Do you know, can you explain a little bit of what that is? Yes. So our field teams get to travel to one of our program countries and then see that program in action. Um, I personally have been on one of the women's empowerment trips that was in Tanzania. So I got to see those women. Um, the one that I was hanging out with a lot that trip was making chicken feed, which was just really interesting. Like they take blood and put it on corn and like dry it in the sun. I mean, but wow. she was selling it. She was bagging it. It was, it was amazing. I mean, she's quite the entrepreneur and, um, it was just neat to watch, but also, um, something, my husband's favorite program is the agriculture program because we tried to start a garden in here in America, in our own backyard. And it was a complete flop. <laughs> I do not have a green thumb. Neither does he. Um, but it was interesting because we were talking with this guy that we work with. We actually call him Dr. Dirt. His real name is Jason Struble, I've learned, but he goes by Dr. Dirt. Um, and he's essentially a microbiologist or soil scientist. And, you know, he travels all over the world and just tests soil and says, hey, Jacob, like, let me offer you some suggestions on your garden. Um, but what we've learned is that once you educate a farmer on the best thing that will grow in his land, like they run with it. I mean, it's incredible to see the, the yields that they get once they get the knowledge and the education 
of how best to produce the crop. It's incredible. I mean, it's just a neat, it's a neat program. And I love that, you know, coming in, I kind of thought to myself, like, can they not figure it out? Like, can they, how can someone like who's indigenous to a certain area not figure out what grows best there? Um, And that's when Dr. Dirt put me in my place and was like, have you ever tried to have a garden? Okay. How did it go? (laughs) And I was just like, (laughs) Oh yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it's just amazing what a little bit of education will do. Um, and I mean, I even had the worldwide web at my fingertips and I still messed up the garden, but you know, in many parts of the world, they don't have access. Like they can't just go Google something and figure it out. Like they rely on people, like you said, like servants, like you and like me who are willing to go and show them. The year 2020 was obviously very hard for just about any mission organization for the world. But um, I've talked to a lot of missionaries and it's been a struggle. Um, How did the events of COVID in 2020 affect Convoy of Hope and what has had to change in order to make some things work? We did massive responses in 2020. I mean, it was incredible to see um, how we just pivoted. I mean, as did many organizations and hats off to anyone who's leading. Like I have three kids. I only have to lead three people and it was rough, (laughs) but like leading massive groups and organizations like churches, I mean, pastors and teachers and all of that. I mean, for our people, like what that looked like was understanding that in America, the situation was worse than it had ever been because so many people were unemployed. So many people were without a job and so many cupboards were empty for the first time. Whereas in other countries that that's their norm. So we're used to like, okay, how can we help there? But then all of a sudden we're like, Whoa, how do we help? Um, you know, at this magnitude in America. And we were able to do that basically through still the local church, But instead of setting up shop, like in one parking lot, that's like a one-stop shop where you can come and get groceries and shoes and haircuts and backpacks. Like it wasn't like come up, engage with us, talk to us face-to-face, like let us like, you know, pray with you and encourage you. It was more like people were driving through in their car. Um, So we had mass lines of cars. Like I'm thinking specifically um, of this distribution that we did in Florida. I mean, the cars went on for miles um, of people who just needed a bag of groceries or two or three to sustain them for a while. Um, It's incredible how when the Lord breathes on something, he's going to give you the favor and the strategy to figure it out. Um, even with the events like 2020, you know, there's been so much that's happened since, and especially, you know, the events in Ukraine. I did see on um, Convoy of Hope social media and the website that they're doing some work in Poland to help with the refugees. Um, do you know or can you say anything about um, how that has come to take place and what the mission is over there? Uh, for sure. We are working in six countries, Poland being the biggest one that the refugees are coming into. In fact, more than 50% of the people who have fled Ukraine have come into Poland. But we're working in Poland, in Hungary, in Slovakia, in Moldova, um, basically doing what we do even after a disaster. I mean, this is a little different because it's ongoing. It's a war, not a hurricane, for instance, that's like here and gone. But what we're doing is we're giving food 
water, shelter. Um, in fact, I, we were talking to our team members who were there, uh, yes, or the day before yesterday, I guess it was, but they ended up securing a warehouse, um, Convoy of Hope secured a warehouse in order to start storing the product that will just go out. Um, because you have all of this, this massive influx of people, 2 million people have crossed so far. And it's, you know, people who are coming with just what they can carry in a small bag. So they need food, they need water, they need shelter. You know, in America, we have this tendency and I love the heart behind it, but they're like, Hey, I want to send you some clothes. It's like, okay, clothes are great, but they have the clothes on their back. They, they don't have food. They don't have water. Many of them don't have electricity. Like, and so really, even though it's been two weeks now of fighting, we're still handing out mainly the basic necessities of life, baby care kits, feminine hygiene kits. Like we are still really in the beginning stages of recovery. And there's just no way to tell the timeline of how long we'll be there. So we went ahead and secured that warehouse so that when people donate to specifically the Ukraine response, we can gather that product and use it. You know, it's just, it's coming in, coming out, coming in, coming out. And so that's what we've been doing in Ukraine. Our team is still on the ground there. They don't have any plans to leave anytime soon, even though it's a danger zone. Now, I know you said, especially here in the States, it's like the first thing you want to do is try to connect with the churches and pastors. Um, have you been able to do any of that over there in those countries? Um, I, I know it might be... Uh, Sometimes, you know, depending on the country you're in, that might be harder to get connected with. But um, have, have you seen anything like that over there? Uh, we are already working in um, in Eastern Europe with local churches. So we already had programs in many countries already established, which is amazing. It's super helpful in this crisis because um, it's those same relationships and partnerships that we're able. I'm letting my dog out because she's working her head off. <laughs> um, it is just cool to see come here dog so it's been neat to to already have those relationships established because then we can say like hey like what do you need it's really no different than a, than a natural disaster in the sense of our responding um so we connect with those people and we give them what they need and you know when people say like oh how long is convoy going to be there well we run off donations so we're going to be there as long as we still have money to be there. Now, it's been incredible, the response to Ukraine. I mean, mm -hmm. so many people have given and we're so thankful. Um, but what we know is that we're going through that product because you're, you're talking 2 million people. I mean, and we haven't like touched all of them, but we've touched many of them who are coming through those shelters. I mean, there are local churches who have been moving out the pews, moving out the furniture, instead putting down mattresses for people to sleep. Um, and again, many women and children, uh, you know, yesterday when we were talking to our team, they were telling us the story of they get this warehouse and like our team members are cleaning it up, getting it ready to like store the product. And these 10 women show up to help. They just want to help clean it up. And then they found out that they were actually themselves Ukrainian refugees who just wanted to help and pay it forward. It's incredible. Is there a story that comes to mind? And we've already heard bits and pieces of different stories. Is there a story that comes to mind where in your mind, you're thinking that was God's hand right there moving? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's 
this happened to me fairly recently. I was interviewing a woman um, who we helped after Hurricane Harvey. Um, and so she had posted something on Twitter that I saw and she it said something like convoy of hope saved my life. And I was like, Whoa, that's like a strong statement, mm. you know? Um, <laughs> and so I just like tracked her down on Twitter and then I called her and I was like, Hey, so I saw your post. I work for convoy of hope. You know, you said we saved your life. And she was like, well, you did, you did save my life. And I was like, how, like, tell me what happened. And she said, well, after hurricane Harvey hit, I had also just lost my job. So I was unemployed. She had had some relational strains along that same timeline. Her trailer that she lived in wasn't actually expected to get hit, but then it did. So she was totally unprepared and she, you know, is sitting here without a job, no money, no income, no hope. And all of these trees were down on our property. And there was a convoy of hope truck with these two men, just volunteer men who showed up in her driveway, like unannounced. And they're like, Hey, we see that you have a bunch of trees on your property. Um, we have some chainsaws. Could you use some help? And she said that she was absolutely at the end of her rope to the point where she was literally contemplating taking her own life and because she had just no hope left. And lo and behold, the God of heaven and earth would move these two men into her driveway. They showed up with some cheese sandwiches and some <laughs> chainsaws and just went to work, like moving all of the trees out of her driveway so that she could get her car out and talked with her, prayed with her, met with her. And just the timing of that, like, that's not accidental. That's purposeful. Like the Lord sent them. I mean, they didn't know where they were going. They just stumbled upon this driveway and thought, oh, this lady looks like she could use some help. And there was something about her saying, like she had this phrase in the interview. She said, um, uh, cheese sandwiches and chainsaws saved my life. And I was like, that's so incredible that, I mean, people who work for Convoy of Hope, I would say, and even volunteers, like they, they're not necessarily Christian people. Um, many of them are, but certainly not all of them. I mean, we work all over the world, you know, in all different um, countries and races and religions and um, backgrounds and worldviews. But yet on this day, at this time, it's undeniable. <laughs> you know, she wow. said like God sent them and she just had this recognition that my life has value. My mm. creator sees me and here they are to help me when I was absolutely at the end of my rope. Wow. And that's just one story out of near, nearly 30 years almost of Convoy of Hope. Right. That's, that's incredible. So one of the biggest driving forces behind this podcast is one to let people know who this organization Convoy of Hope is, what you do. And one of my favorite parts is if someone is watching or listening to this podcast and they say, I like the work they do, they're being the hands and feet of Christ. And I want to be a part of that in some way. What are some of the ways that people can partner with Convoy of Hope? If you are stateside and there is a disaster in your area, um, we are very likely there. Uh, Convoy of Hope is often there, not just tornadoes and earthquakes and whatnot, but even like the water crisis in Michigan, like Flint, Michigan, when they didn't have clean drinking water. I mean, we were there passing out clean water bottles. So 
we help in so many different types of disasters. So if you're watching this from here, just know that when we come to your neck of the woods, we need an army of volunteers and you can meet us there, meet us in the parking lot of those different local churches and be the hands and feet yourself. Um, but if you see something a world away and you say, man, I'm watching what's happening in Ukraine and I want to be a part of that, just know that through our like corporate relationships, um, we can make a dollar stretch so much further and never underestimate the power of giving, never right. underestimate the power of your generosity or your prayer, because it makes a difference. Prayer changes things. And $1 over there, we talked with a, a man in Moldova who'd been a doctor, even their doctors, some of them apparently only make what would be the equivalent of 10,000 US dollars in a year. I mean, so think how much further our dollars that we give can go over there to feed that person for a length of time. So give, I mean, specifically convoyofhope.org slash Ukraine. But if you go to our website, you're going to see that we're not only in Ukraine. I mean, we're still operating in Guatemala with flooding. Um, we're still operating in Haiti. We're still helping with Hurricane Ida. We're still helping in Mayfield, Kentucky. I mean, there are so many areas all over the globe experiencing some of the worst times of those specific people's lives, the ones who are in that disaster zone. And we can all do something. Just like Mother Teresa said, everyone can do something. Absolutely. And for everyone who is watching or listening, as always, in the description of this and on uh, the Mission Talks social media pages, we are going to be tagging um, Convoy of Hope social media, um, their website you can visit. You'll have all the information there right at your fingertips of how you can be involved. And um, I, I know you report for Convoy of Hope. You are a journalist for them. Um, it, where, where can we go to see some of, uh, some of the work you've done for them? I would love for you to do that. If you go to convoyofhope.org, you'll see a little tab that says news and stories. And many of those are from me. Yay. <laughs> and some other incredible journalists and photojournalists who also do great work. Um, but yeah, I would love for you to check out some of our stuff, especially the stuff that we are um, putting out from Ukraine right now, because since we actually have um, some of our communications team, I mean, we have convoy team members all over the world mm. at any given time. But um, it's unique for the communications department, which is like also your strength, considering <laughs> you're doing a podcast, um, but to like to have those people on the ground, some of the, the video work and the um, images that are coming out of there are incredible at telling the story because right. it looks almost like a movie. And then you recognize this is real life. These are real people. This is a real mom with a real baby on her lap. And like just the expression on their face, like, I mean, just go check it out, convoyofhope.org. And yeah, the specific um, to the news side of that is just says news and stories. Well, the way I like to end every podcast is to ask you if there is a specific prayer request for you and your family and a prayer request for Convoy of Hope. Yeah, I think... Um, the transition from our former lives to our current life has been very drastic. And mm -hmm. so for my family personally, like I just want to steward it well, um, because sometimes I'm like twiddling my thumbs um, because it's so much slower than news. 
And then other times like Ukraine, um, like there's not enough hours in the day. And I just want to be able to steward it well, like the opportunity that the Lord has given us to steward it well. Um, and then for convoy, I would just say um, wisdom from the Lord himself. I mean, he is the one who can open doors that no man can close and who will close doors that no man can open. But we need to be um, attuned to his voice to be good stewards of the money that people give us and good stewards of every opportunity and to make the most of every single opportunity, because we do know that time is short mm. and that, you know, you can't watch the news and read the word and figure out any other conclusion Then this is all wrapping up quickly. You know, time is short. Um, my heart is that of evangelism personally. And so I just want the organization, um, and you know, my family specifically, um, to be able to truly take the gospel and the hope of the world to the nations. Well, what a great way to end the podcast, because that's a good charge for all of us. Sarah, I can't thank you enough for being on here today and representing Convoy of Pope. Um, it's been even more eye-opening for me, and I pray it's the same for others. And um, I just thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an awesome opportunity and very nice to meet you. And I love what you're doing. <laughs>